Hey everybody and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 44 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also find RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you would like to keep up with Jason and I as we travel around the country with our three boys, we are over at OurWanderingFamily.com, and we are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. No, we're not on Snapchat anymore. We never were on Snapchat. <laughs> we were. I talk so much about it that I think we actually have Snapchat now. Let me try that again. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube. There we go. I did it. Good job. Thanks. This episode is sponsored by Boondockers Welcome, built by RVers for RVers. Boondockers Welcome offers a unique and inspiring way to travel, connecting you, the RVer, with welcoming local hosts that have overnight RV parking to spare. Boondockers Welcome is built on the spirit that kindness and generosity abound. And we can say, having experienced Boondockers Welcome firsthand, that that's absolutely true. When they say kindness and generosity, they mean it. Absolutely. And for only $30 a year, you too can arrange as many stays as you like to pass the night with those who love the RV lifestyle as much as you do. And best of all, Boondockers Welcome is offering RV Miles listeners 10% off an annual guest privilege subscription with the coupon code RV Miles, which I think is such a great deal considering that it's already only $30 a year to be a part of this. And that's something that we've talked to about with Boondockers Welcome is that often people say $30 a year. Don't you mean $30 a month? No. $30 a year. So you stay one night, you've you've saved it. Absolutely. So you can head over to boondockerswelcome.com, put in the coupon code RVMILES. That's all one word. You're going to get 10% off. We will also link to it in the show notes as well. But boondockerswelcome.com, 10% off with the code RVMILES. On this episode... Tales from the Road. This was inspired by someone in the RV Miles Travel Forum on Facebook who had said that they wanted to hear more about experiences on the road. Not so much the how-tos and the what-you-needs, but experiences. You didn't let me finish the whole title. (laughs) Because then I can enter a cool sound effect. Tales from the Road. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, so this is going to be fun. If you've been listening since day one, you've probably heard a lot of these stories, but we're going to round them up all together and and tell you some of the things that we have experienced and some that you haven't heard yet. And I'm excited about this, too, because I would like to see it develop into a series where we sit down with others and get their tales from the road, have them share some of their good, bad, ugly experiences as well. So I'm really appreciative to that individual who suggested this, and I'm excited to see where it goes. But first, we've got to do some news. And the first item on our list, last week we talked about how there is going to be a reduction in people taking road trips this summer, according to a survey done by Gas Buddy. Well, this week we have a survey done by Go RVing. Go RVing is sort of the marketing arm of the RV industry association and the RV dealer association. And they're saying that 
according to their survey, RVers are planning to use their RVs more this summer than they did last year. They're planning on shorter trips. They're planning on getting out on more weekends in addition to some long trips they might be taking. And of course, there are a heck of a lot more RVs out there this year than there were last year and the year before and the year before. So just because maybe people are cutting back their road trips this summer doesn't mean campgrounds might be less busy. They just may not be going as far. I think probably now that we've seen this information from Go RVing and then we had last week's Gas Buddies information, I have a feeling we're just going to shake down somewhere in the middle, which is pretty common, pretty typical. It's going to be busy. I think we should just all plan on the fact that it's going to be busy. Some places may be a little bit more busy than others, and some campgrounds may or may not be as busy. What I get from these two pieces of information is that maybe more people will be staying within a certain radius, that they'll be staying a little bit more local. The other piece of news we want to talk about is we have an article up on the website about the manufacturer of Silver Streak travel trailers. Now, Silver Streak is a company that has been around since the 40s. And this is a company that manufactured these silver travel trailers that we would now consider the look of an Airstream. And a woman named Ellie Dillon has purchased the rights to the company. The company stopped producing trailers over 20 years ago. And she purchased some of the plans to the older trailers, the name. Now she's been, she's been in the phases of developing this new Silver Streak travel trailer with designers and engineers. And it's going to be really cool. It's a completely metal body. The, even the floor inside is metal. They don't even have a wood floor inside like an Airstream does. But the problem they're running into is Airstream has sent them a cease and desist letter for what they call trade dress infringement, which is similar to trademark. Airstream is saying that they are the only ones that have the right to manufacture silver trailers with a rounded body. And Ellie and the Silver Streak company are saying, wait a minute, nobody should be able to have exclusive rights for the color silver, nor for the option to make a trailer more aerodynamic. So they are suing, the Silver Street company is actually suing, to get Airstream's trade dress registration revoked from the government and to get the right to produce these trailers. And it's an it's an interesting story, and we'll see how it shakes down. It is an interesting story, and it's curious to me too because, well, I actually don't know how long Airstream has been a company, but you have this one particular company that has been around since the 40s, so they were clearly making this particular type of trailer 78 years ago, and it's just coming back to life. Yeah, Airstreams have been around since the 20s, but there have been other companies. It's not just these two companies. There are other companies that have also produced silver trailers as well. Well, where was Airstream in 1940 when this company right. came to be? <laughs> well, Airstream didn't have this trade dress. Airstream only registered this trade dress registration much later, I think, in the 70s. It's unfortunate, too, because, you know, Airstream's going to have a lot of money to put behind this to fight. And you have this smaller company, this upstart company, and they're going to have a really hard time meeting the legal fees if, unfortunately, this continues to go on. But they actually own a whole bunch of vintage travel trailers that they were planning on putting into sort of a museum at their factory. 
Airstreams included, but they're selling all those off to help pay for this lawsuit. They also have a GoFundMe page that we link to in the in the article as well, and we'll throw that article in the show notes if you um, if you're interested in, in their side of the story. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're on on Airstream side. I'm staying kind of in the middle of the road on this, but I do feel that anytime you can offer options on a certain item, one, two, three different options, then it becomes more affordable for the consumer. It's no secret that Airstreams are an expensive investment. Right. I mean, to me, I think, okay, Ford and Chevy, you can go to both of them and buy a red truck in fairly the same shape. And and this idea of trade dress is something that the government does put in the research I did for this article to protect people from being confused when they're buying things. So trade dress protects packaging, you know, for instance. So you couldn't sell toothpaste with sort of that red and blue Colgate look Mm -hmm. if Colgate has a trade dress on that. And that makes a little bit of sense to me, but I don't think anybody that would go buy a Silver Street trailer travel trailer is going to be confused thinking that they were getting an Airstream. Yeah. You know, there's the name is on it and you don't pay seventy thousand dollars for a trailer (laughs) and not know who the brand name is so you don't spend seven thousand dollars or seven hundred and if you do please take a look at your brands before you put that money down it reminds me in a way of how you know we have a couple other businesses we work in the performing arts industry as well and our other website perform inc used to be print publication and then in around 2011 it folded We picked it back up in 2016, brought it back to life. And in a way, this feels similar that if we had brought Performing back to life and then these other performing arts publications in Chicago had said, whoa, 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 we've got. You you can't use that font on your website because we do and we have a trade dress on it. Right, exactly. Or that color. You can't write this casting announcement because we have. The industry is better when more voices can join, when there is a more opportunity for everyone to be involved. We've seen that in our theater side of life. We see it in the RV industry as well, as FMCA has opened up for not just class A's. They're now opening up for everyone because they know their industry and their business thrives when everyone can be a part of it. Yeah, it's about diversity. And, yeah. And the more trailer manufacturers there are the more it will drive other manufacturers and look airstream is is owned by thor thor manufactures about half of the rvs out there they're doing okay and it makes sense because anytime if you own a trademark you're required to try to protect it if you if you don't try to protect it you can lose it so it, it makes sense that they're going to fight for it but uh But I also hope they look at it as an opportunity to engage this style of RV, like to up their game a little bit. Mm -hmm. You have competition now. So what can we do to improve a product that's already pretty solid? But what can we do to make that product even better for the consumer? I actually think there have been grumblings from Airstream owners in recent years, especially since Thor took them over. Now, it's still the same factory and everything. But there have been some grumblings that it is not the product that it once used to be. It's yeah. still a great product, but it's slipping a bit into the modern RV manufacturer 
dilemma of trying to crank a lot out quickly. Perhaps having a, a good competitor will force them to, you know, keep up the manufacturing quality that Airstream has been known for. Yeah, it'll be an interesting story to follow. And I hope that it works out for all involved that they can keep their businesses going and that Silver Streak doesn't go bankrupt trying to do this, trying to fight for their right to party. <laughs> we'll see if anyone picks up on that. That little lyric drop I just tossed yeah. in there. Well, now nobody will. I know. I just, right. I just dated myself too a little bit. All right, we'll take a break. And when we come back, Tales from the Road and the answer to last week's brain teaser. We'll be right back. All right, we are back with the answer to last week's brain teaser. It went like this. A farmer challenges an engineer, a physicist, and a mathematician to fence off the largest amount of area using the least amount of fence. The engineer makes his fence in a circle and said it was the most efficient. The physicist made a straight long fence and said that the length was infinite. Fencing half the earth was best. The mathematician laughed at the others and with his design beat them. What did he do? Well, he made a small little fence, just a little square fence, and a went wee inside fence. it around him <laughs> and said that he was on the outside and everything else was on the inside. So smart. Stay. This is why you got to stay, stay in, school. in school, guys. Stay in school, guys. Do your math. So you can win a <laughs> fencing Fencing contest, but not the physical kind. No, the kind where you build <laughs> fences. <laughs> I'm sure they exist. I'm sure they do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who's the winner this week? This week's winner is Leslie Bloomington from Kansas City, Missouri. We could drive it to her house. (laughs) We are in Kansas City, Missouri right now. We just left Oklahoma City and and here we are. Here we are. That's awful. Back in good old Kansas City. We are. It's hot here too. It is, but not as hot as it is in Oklahoma City right now. Not sad to be there for the 105 degree temperature. So, Leslie, hope you're enjoying the Kansas City weather right now. We will reach out to you for your address and we'll get you one of those T-shirts. So we wanted today to just talk a bit about, you know, sort of reconnecting with who we are and and tell you about some of our travels and our journeys and some of the good things and some of the bad things that have happened. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we have a lot more listeners now than we did when we started out. And we sort of wanted to reintroduce ourselves a little bit here. Yeah. And so it's going to kind of shake down like this. We're just going to do a quick little background check on us. And then we're going to talk about experiences that we've had on the road that have been good, experiences then that have been bad, and experiences that have been just downright ugly. Experiences <laughs> we really don't want to ever repeat again. And hopefully you can, you know, glean a little bit about that that will help you out in your travels. So first, if you don't know already, we live in a converted school bus. We do. (laughs) We do. We have been on the road now for about 18 months. We spent almost a year prior to getting on the road converting a 2002 Thomas school bus into the RV of our dreams. We roam around with our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, and 
we did this because we had found ourselves priced out of Chicago. We are Chicago natives. We were there for 15 years before we got on the road, but we had started to feel a little squeezed in the city. And we hear this a lot from people who are living in really urban dwellings. It's getting a little bit harder if you're not making a lot of money to stay in the city. So we happened to just be in a position where we had started our own business. We didn't have to be in Chicago. And Jason brought up the idea of converting a school bus into an RV. I immediately shot that idea down. Well, originally, it wasn't <laughs> going to be about living it. Like, really, I wanted to have a project, something fun to do, to spend some time on, something to do with my boys yeah. and with my wife to, you know, occupy our time that would that would be something we could be proud of and something that we could use to take little trips places. Absolutely. And Jason, by trade, is a theater designer. He has a background in lighting design, set design. And so it was very natural for him to be able to transfer those skills into building. So we knew that it would be something that we could almost completely do on our own. And it ended up being we have done 100% of it on our own. Jason has probably done a good 75% of the build on the bus. But we did that and we got on the road and we've been on the road. Now it'll be two years this September. And I would say overall, the decision was an incredibly easy one to make, a little bit difficult to implement. And it has not been without immense reward and immense challenge. Yeah, we've always been sort of camping and traveling and RVing people, but this this idea of going full time wasn't even really something we knew people did. No, not uh, until we very started. Much, yeah, least, which is weird because I actually have two two aunts and uncles that are full timers, and I never even thought about it. You know, I think if I'm honest, <laughs> I always looked at it as something you did after you retired. Yeah. What was the most surprising for me was to discover how many families, how many young families, how many individuals, how many couples are actually out on the road prior to retirement who are taking the steps that they need to do to make this a full-time experience for them. That was the most surprising. We turned our decision to go full-time. We turned it around pretty fast. I think in February of 2015, we decided that we were interested in the bus life. And by the end of that month, we had already purchased the bus and we were already starting the process. Yeah, because we were already homeschooling and because we already had businesses that were digital, it just made a heck of a lot of sense that we weren't really tied to anything and we could go anywhere. So why not go everywhere? Yeah. And I need to fix something. I said February 2015, but I actually meant February 2016. I'm still living in 2017. <laughs> I haven't stopped writing 2017 when I have to write out the date. Okay. And it's June. Well, it's June. I know. I'll get it by <laughs> December 31st. I'll be, I'll be on the 2018 bandwagon. All right. So let's talk about some of the, the good experiences that we've had on the road. Yeah. And this was all kind of a hard list to put together overall with these three categories because I think any day that we're able to continue doing what is a passionate dream for us is a good day, is a good experience. So it was kind of hard to put this list together, but I was able to pull out what I felt would be 
overall, if you set all five of us down and said, what are some of the experiences you've had that you could all agree upon? This was the list I came up with. Yeah. So the first one is the Gulf Coast road trip that we did. When we first started out full time, we we spent some time living in outside of Chicago in, in the bus. And then we spent a good amount of time in Arkansas after going to Kansas City for a bit. After the holidays, yeah. But then we hit the road really and to to do some serious road tripping. And we started out in New Orleans and did a sort of a Gulf Coast, a northern Gulf Coast road trip across to Fort Pickens in Florida. Yeah. I, the reason why this ended up on the list for me is because I felt like this was the very first time that we had put a very specific road trip together, that we had very specific destinations that we wanted to go to that were new to us. Yeah. New experiences. It was really the first time we were stretching our legs away from the Midwest. And that was the first time that I was really able to say to myself, yes, we can do this. We can work from the road. We can have our kids on the road and still be able to offer them things that are important to them, socialization, adventures, time with their family, and normalcy, schedule, predictability. Our kids do need predictability in their lives. And that particular leg, that experience from going to New Orleans to Fort Pickens and everything that went in it, that was the first time I felt like we can do this. Yeah, and particularly the the two ends of it. New Orleans mm-hmm. was such a great experience that was a little surprising. Very surprising in, in as a family ways. destination. Very mm-hmm. surprising. And then the other end, Fort Pickens and, and the Pensacola area, we just had such a great time. In, and it was so beautiful and peaceful to be out camping on an island. Mm-hmm. And something about that trip, too, if we're talking about experiences, is that was also a trip where we met some really wonderful people made some really good connections, both in New Orleans and then when we were at Fort Pickens. And there seemed to be Southern hospitality that just ran through that whole trip when we were over at Davis Bayou. And for me personally as well, I spent about two years of my childhood living in Gulfport, Mississippi. So during this leg of the trip, we were able to go by my childhood home drive through the neighborhood. I was able to film all of that and share it with my parents and my brothers. And so that had a real personal connection for me to take my family now to a town and to my home that when my parents were in the same position with their young family, that's where they were raising us. I just loved that trip. I keep saying to you, I'd really like to go back. But yeah. part of me is afraid to go back because I think you can only capture lightning in a bottle one time. Yeah. And I would hate to do this trip again and have it not sort of have that feeling and then have have it diminished. I don't know if that makes sense. I do. I do. The next one on our list is personal in sort of some of the same ways to me. And it was our trip up the Great River Road, mm-hmm. the sort of northern half of the Great River Road along the Mississippi River to uh, up to Minneapolis and then beyond that up to Voyagers National Park. 
I'm originally from an area called the Quad Cities. We talked about before on a different episode. Rock Island, Davenport, Moline, Bettendorf. It's right. It's on the border of Illinois and Iowa, two cities on either side of the river. And so I grew up on the Mississippi. My parents had boats and things like that. And we really enjoyed starting our trip there and making our way up along the Mississippi River and watching it change going through these different historic river towns that meant so much to the development of America and still do to some extent today. And, and then watching the landscape change as, as you get closer and closer to where the river begins and the hills begin to wind and, and the road the, and the river splits and gets wider and smaller. It was a really interesting trip too, because we sort of fell into it. We didn't necessarily think we were going to take the Great River Road all the way up to Minneapolis. And we kept noticing that we were landing next to it. Like something was telling us, continue, continue, continue. And it was really, I think, for me, the moment I realized how impactful this trip was for you and your childhood and your desire to share it with the boys was when we were at Effigy Mounds and they had that incredible overlook there onto the Mississippi and it was just really stunning and I could just see how much you loved being there. And I think that that was kind of around the time that we decided to continue going. It was. And and it's a great trip for RVers in general too. It's we, a very we did easy a whole drive. episode on it because you get this beautiful rolling scenery but the road follows at the river level and is flat. Yeah. So you're seeing it all without having to go up giant hills and down them and, and all that. And one of our favorite campgrounds that we've stayed at, it was a city campground, but one of our favorite campgrounds that we have stayed at was during this trip when we stayed near Minneapolis. We were on the Wisconsin side and it was just a city park, had a great playground for the kids. It was only $15 a night, I believe. With electric. With yeah. electric and, and Wi-Fi. baseball field next to like a, a, yeah. a minor league baseball team with free games. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that actually last week on the weather safety episode, that they are the campground that had the tornado shelter. Yeah. So this trip had a lot of really greats. Our kids, our little urbanites, continue to ask when are we going back to the Mall of America? I know. <laughs> they loved we, the Mall of America. We spent two weeks in Minneapolis and we we went to the Mall of America four times. Our kids have been to 20 different national park sites and they have been, they've crisscrossed most of the Midwest and Southwest. And our kids are asking us, when are you taking us back to the Mall of America? Because it has a giant amusement park inside of it. And we crowned that trip off with driving up to Voyagers National Park up at the Canada and the United States border. And it's just an amazing place, a sort of wonderland of water and rural and away from everything. Beautiful night skies. We really can't recommend Voyagers National Park. Enough. We can't. And it has, I would say, one of the most memorable hikes we've taken as a family. And that was the hike. That seemed to never end where we had been told three hours, two to three hours. And I think we were out on that trail for five yeah. hours, almost six. And it started raining towards the end. 
And looking back on it now, I will continue to say that it's one of the best hikes the kids have ever. They did such a great job. They did such a good job. And that's why I remember that hike. Not because other hikes, they're screaming and crying. Not because you dropped your phone and broke the screen. (laughs) Even that I look upon fondly. (laughs) Even though at the time, it's quite possible I started crying at the overlook. But that's okay. (laughs) All's well that ends well. We had a great time as a family. And we look back on it as a challenge that we didn't know we were walking into and we faced it, the five of us. That hike right there links back to family experiences for me. How have we grown as a family? It's through moments like that where we are faced with a challenge and we are given two options to fall apart and start arguing with each other and to know we're going to have tired kids or do we keep going? The next place that we've had just wonderful experiences We won't get too deep into this because we've talked about New Mexico so much. (laughs) We might as well just become the the national tourist like spokespersons for New Mexico. (laughs) The Santa Fe Albuquerque area was and always will be a particularly special place to us because we just really loved the experiences in those two cities. But more importantly, we really met some great people. We did. We met a family that we met. We have met elsewhere on the road that we really have got to know. And their story is really inspiring. And uh, they're just great people. And we were able to explore. Yeah, we made life with them. I think it's safe to say we made lifetime friends. Yeah. Which is wonderful. And also we met a woman who was local in that area who was able to offer us wealth of information about the indigenous people in the Santa Fe Albuquerque area. She was able to offer us experiences and so kindly shared her knowledge with us and genuinely took an investment in our family. I felt a very kindred connection to her. Yeah, we her name was Bobby and and it was just a by chance that we ended up meeting. She uh she had a little bit of a scary experience at the bathhouse late at night, and she was looking for somebody who was up to walk her to back to her campsite. And uh, and I was up, and and she caught me, and I I drove her, actually drove her back to her campsite, and and then we, you know, she came by, and we talked the next day, and we for for several days after, we just talked for hours because she's such a fountain of knowledge of the Native American history. In that area, and of course, some of the United States' most important Native American history has happened and still exists in and around that area in the northern part of New Mexico, the Four Corners area. So she was able to just really put what our experiences were were there into perspective with the modern Native Americans living there. And I think it's becoming clear as we're talking about this that our experiences are really tied into emotional moments that we've had. You know, the Great River Road for you was a link to your childhood with the Mississippi River. Gulf Shores was a link for me to Gulfport, Mississippi. Now we have Albuquerque, Santa Fe, and that is about the people who enriched our experience there, our time there. And that to me is what specifically 
RV camping lifestyle is about is that you have an opportunity to be amongst people and make these really rich connections with others who in their own personal way care very similar to what you care about in regards to RV and camping. And you're linked by that. Yeah. And these individuals who have come into our lives and come out of our lives, maybe they're only here for a couple of days or a week, but they make us better people just for having had that time with them. And we met other people there too. It was just a great experience. Andrew and his wife, I can't remember her name, the Airstream. Owner, yes, they were wonderful. It helped us find a site in the first yes. place. And I, it was just. She and I bonded over Target. It was, it was one lovely. of the first times where we really made friends on the road. And mm-hmm. that was really cool. Where we as adults did. Our kids are always making friends at campgrounds. Yeah. But- and it was nice because then that translated to what's going to be next on our list, which was Zion National Park. Yeah, and we won't go too deep into that yeah. either because we just did an episode on it. But but that's the experience level of we made friends with a family. It that was, was almost identical yeah. situation. And we were able to experience the park with them. For me personally, it was so nice to be able to sit down with another mother who was on the road doing the homeschool thing, raising three kids. And within seconds, we had kind of run through the whole history of how we got to where we are today. And we're able to just kind of connect. And so for me, those are so important when I have an opportunity to talk to another individual who's in a similar situation and bounce ideas or feel inspired by what she's doing and or they are doing as parents and how that works for them. And I really enjoyed getting to know Mandy. And she's definitely someone that I have continued to stay in touch with and I know throughout this journey, I will continue to talk to her. I just never expected that we would, you know, be going to like national parks and then we would meet people there and go explore the park together as families. I'm not really a super social person. No. So I balance it out. You balance it out quite a bit. (laughs) It's just never something that crossed my mind. And, uh, and it's been great, but they were great. So that was Zion. The next place we wanted to mention one of our great experiences the foscue creek campground this is in demopolis alabama and we happened to be there on over easter of last year 2017 it was our first major holiday on the road for most holidays we end up spending with family we end up going back home somewhere uh for this one we were we were out camping and uh First of all, it was an Army Corps of Engineers campground, and the Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds in Alabama are awesome. They're just massive sites. They're well taken care of. We've felt that way at a lot of Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds, but the ones in Alabama are particularly nice. At this one, when we arrived, the first thing they tell us is, oh, we're having a big Easter celebration, and we'd like you to join us. Let us know how many people will be there. And we'll have food for you. And and all you do, need to do is show up. And we did. <laughs> we did. They said uh, the magic words, biscuits and gravy. There were three crock pots full of real southern gravy. Maybe like more biscuits than any man could knows what to do possibly. with. Possibly. I mean, you could you could take a bath in the in the number <laughs> of biscuits they had. It was the first time, too, that we had, I think, experienced that overall sense of 
community inside the campground and the coming together for one event, be it um, a holiday or just a, a Sunday potluck get together, whatever. And we went back and forth actually all weekend as to whether or not we were going to go over there because we had never experienced anything like that. And we can tend to be a little introverted in situations and, and of that there, nature. There weren't families there because no. it was Easter weekend and, you know, people are doing family things and kids are still in school at that time of year. And everyone was was quite older than us. But they were so gracious. Everybody, it was, it was that quintessential Southern hospitality. Everybody kept throwing food at us. They wanted to make sure we were well fed. They wanted yeah. to know our story. They wanted to know everything about what we're doing. They were so gracious and kind. And, and it was just really a wonderful Easter experience for us. Agreed. So our last one, and we'll take a little break, is one of the best experiences for me that I get to relive pretty often is anytime the boys say the Junior Ranger Pledge just melts my heart. It's so interesting, too, because when they first started doing it, they were a couple of them were, were much quieter about it. Yes. And now they almost know it by heart and they just sort of yell it out. Yeah. And they it's so great it's to watch, wonderful. especially to watch a four year old. And I think, too, for me is also that I hope it is continuing to build a love for them of the national parks and nature and that when they get older and they become the next generation of park protectors, that they will have these memories of becoming junior rangers and that that will carry a little bit more weight for them. But really, it's just watching the rangers interact with them. And I think sometimes park rangers are at their best when they have a little audience of people in front of them. And so to watch the rangers interact with them and watch the kids interact with the ranger and then have it all finish up with this pledge, just I don't think I'll ever tire of that. I won't. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the bad and the ugly. I know. Maybe we should have led with all the bad and the ugly and saved the good stuff. That's okay, because the bad and the ugly is most of it's pretty funny. So It is pretty funny. It's nothing too dramatic. <laughs> all right. We'll be right back. Here to talk about the bad and then the ugly let's experiences. <laughs> let's relive all these and hope we don't come out of here with post-traumatic <laughs> stress disorder so the first of those experiences is our recent jaunt into the san bernardino mountains outside of la and as beautiful lovely a place that was yeah it's not about nature it's the it was the experience for us like in our, just our time there, you know, because it is, you're right, it's beautiful. Yeah. But our experience was tough. The fog, rain, cold, 30 degree temperatures, making driving, you almost couldn't see the front end of the van. There's trying. nothing like driving a curvy, twisty mountain pass with zero, with zero visibility. visibility. Yeah. 
it was cold up there. It was just wet and damp. And it was so difficult to get the bus up there. The only saving grace was that there was no fog on the two days that we, the day we drove up and the day we drove yes. down in the bus. We only dealt with the fog driving our van around. But that was a huge saving grace. And, you know, you can remember that when you look back and say, boy, this was a bad experience. <laughs> um, you know, of course, it was mixed with wonderful experiences because we were there to see family and that. Once we got down out of the mountain, we had just a wonderful time. It's also one of these things that we often tend to forget. When we look on a map and see a place we want to go, and we see a campground nearby, and boy, they look so close to each yeah. other, that so often it takes so long to get into back through the woods, through the yeah through the hills up a mountain. It's not a 70 miles. It takes a long time. Yeah, it's not 70 miles down the highway towards right. your destination. Right. So... That was rough. That was a bad experience. I don't have any desire to head back to the San Bernardino Mountains anytime soon. I hope someday we do go back, though, and try and redeem that trip. Another campground-related bad experience was that city park that we stayed at when we were in Voyagers, the Voyagers National Park area. Yeah, we we like city parks or county parks because they're often cheap and in great locations and often nice. This one, it wasn't, the campground wasn't The campground bad. wasn't awful. We were the coming off, were. <laughs> we were coming off a great stay at a city park campground in Wisconsin near Minneapolis. We headed up to here and the city park campground itself was not in the greatest of road conditions, but we were, our campsite was across from a pavilion and the entire time we were there, Late into the evening, there would be groups of teenagers hanging out at the pavilion. And we were like the only RV down there. Yeah. And they would just party and hang out there and, you know, just come down there to drink and whatever. And Right. And I love teenagers. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound like, you know, get off my lawn or anything. But these guys had these, they but, all had like these big mutter trucks that make that, you know, I don't know if they even have mufflers on them. Make yeah. ridiculously loud sounds and they just playing weren't loud respect- music, and they weren't respectful. Yeah. yeah, and so also with this particular campground, they weren't closing it up at night. There was really no solid camp host or individual that you could go to, and so it was really the only time in the almost two years we have been doing this that I didn't feel safe and felt a little exposed. So that's why it made it onto. The bad list. The next one is the Illinois Beach State Park, which we talked about. Which made it on the naughty list. And we talked about the the issue. And this is something that you just sometimes experience at government campgrounds. Sometimes they're the best experiences. Sometimes they couldn't care less about customer service or anything like that. They (laughs) cleaning their bathrooms. State and federal employees. Yeah. And that was one that we didn't have the greatest experience with an employee at. Plus, it rained like crazy. It was cold. The whole place was flooded. Yeah, that was a rough leg of a trip for us because we went from there to what is now next on the list, which was a casino that we stayed at in and around that area. We were trying to stay. It was the end of October last year. We were staying in and around the Chicago area for the boys because they really wanted to spend 
Halloween with their friends. And we wanted to as well because their friends have parents that we consider friends. And and, and it's getting colder and at that time of year. And it's hard for us to do that. But we wanted to do it. We wanted them. to do it for them. Also in the Chicago surrounding areas, as of October 15th, pretty much all of the campgrounds, private campgrounds shut down for the year. So your options become less and less and it becomes harder and harder. The forest preserve that we normally stay at had been booked up. We couldn't get in. So we trekked over to a casino, which had a great campground. And on their website, they had said, you know, that the bathhouses should still be open, that there would be water. This was maybe October 20th. And their website said the water may be shut off after October 31st, depending on the weather. So it, we were staying for a, few, for a few days after October 20th. We thought, okay, we're co- totally in the clear when we get there. And it, I, you know, the, the weather was actually fairly decent. It, yeah, it wasn't hadn't... cold. Not only had they shut the water off to, to the campsites, but to the dump station as well, and to the bathhouse. They had a very nice bathhouse, an indoor building that had a lobby in it and everything. I have no idea why they shut it down and shut it off, but they did. So, uh, and then there was like the hotel had a pool, but no showers with the pool or anything. So there was no way for us to access water and shower and things like that. So we actually ended up going to a family swim, a family swim at the goldfish swimming pool, which this is a good option for showers across the country. If you can find a goldfish swim school or another swim school, you go do a family swim for $15 for your whole family and you all get to take really nice showers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was that was rough. I'm not going to lie. That was rough. And you and I had privately discussed leaving and not staying in the area. Yeah. We knew at that point that this was our only option to give the kids the time they wanted with their friends. And you and I privately discussed leaving. And we realized at the end of the day that it was going to be a little rough for the grownups and we were going to have to get a little creative, but that it was very important to our kids. And it was important to us to give that to them because we knew we would not be back in the area for the for a while and we wanted them to have that special time with their their very best friends so it's made it on the bad list but we got through it and we will not be going back final thing on the on the bad list before we get to the ugly is this isn't really that bad um but it's disappointing sometimes is we tend to and we talk about this a lot Uh, find really awesome things to do on our last day and not really have the time to do them properly in Roswell, the, the, the wildlife preserve, the bitter Lake wildlife preserve in Roswell. It's a great example. We got to drive through it quick, but it's a place we would love to go back and spend some time. We tend to just find these places that are just really neat. And they're always on our last day. They always are. And (laughs) If I could think of a common thread through the bad list, I would really say that some of our bad experiences, most of our bad experiences are tied into a campground or they're tied into sort of our planning. Yeah. And and our, our our inability to really if we didn't thoroughly look at something, sometimes it tends to be a bad experience. Yeah. And part of that is our own limitations, our needs. And also what we have talked about time and time again is that we don't tend to plan really, really far out. So when we find ourselves in locations or places where 
campgrounds, spaces limited, we often end up having to get incredibly creative in order to stay and fulfill whatever that need is for why we want to be there. And sometimes that works out great like it did in Zion. And that was one of our best experiences on the road. Sometimes like Halloween for the kids in Chicago, Voyagers National Park, because that was kind of a last minute decision, don't work out so well. There's really wonderful things that are going to happen in and around that. But our bad experiences do tend to be tied into last minute planning and the campgrounds that we end up at. Sometimes it has a little bit to do with our frugality, too. Yes, we're very frugal. We're, we're very frugal. And and sometimes that's to our detriment. I mean, you know, if if we're camping somewhere and it's just way out of the way and we're saving $30 that week in camping fees, sometimes we forget to do the math on how much we're adding in gas to drive yeah. to the place we want to go. Yeah. Um, so that's something we're trying to pay more and more attention to. Yeah, we are always learning. We're never not learning on the road. Being on the road is like having a fourth child. All right, let's talk about the ugly experiences. <laughs> ugly experiences. Ugh. Number one on this list is the manhunt that came through the Bottomless Lakes State Park when we were in Roswell. And this is an awesome state park. And we actually felt really safe and, Absolutely. and really taken care of by the camp host in this park and everything. It was a really great park. But there was an armed fugitive that had escaped custody and was roaming through the park. And that'll give you pause. <laughs> it really will. <laughs> and there were helicopters flying overhead. Yeah. And there are police sirens everywhere. And and the big thing was we never really knew what happened. We didn't know they, when it was over. They all kind of left. The authorities and the helicopters and everything just kind of left. And they said, they, they told us to go inside our RV. This person, this is what he looks like. He is armed and dangerous. And this was at dusk. We should throw that yeah, out too. So, so it the, was nighttime. Yeah. So by the time everything ended, it was it was pitch black. I and wasn't going outside. So they left and we had no idea if they found him or if he's still roaming around in the park. <laughs> yeah, we had no clue. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't want to go out and, you know, walk several campsites down to our host and ask. And that was a really interesting situation because we also needed to stay calm and kind of watch how we talked about it around our boys. Our boys are, you know, they're kind of highly sensitive and I respect that and understand it. And so we had to kind of watch our language. I needed to keep my own emotions in check so that they could feel safe. And we stuck to the schedule. We got ready for bed. We had dinner. We just tried to be as normal as possible and put them to bed. While at the same time, you and I are like split brain. We're trying to be as normal as possible. And on the other side of our brain, we know that something very serious is going on in and around us. And we're trying to pay attention to that. Yeah. But the park is lovely. We highly recommend it. <laughs> Hopefully they don't have any more manhunts. All right. The next one is another New Mexico state park. It's mm. Elephant Butte State Park. Mm-mm-mm. Really our only disappointing New Mexico State Park, I think. And it has everything to do with the camp host. Yeah. I mean, it's a the park is kind of like a party park. I mean, it's a giant lake and, and people go out and they drink a lot and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But we met a lovely family while we were there. We so, you know, it's hard to say that the park was awful. 
But the camp we, host was We were the in worst. a small loop and the camp host there. How do I put this? Okay, so we <laughs> He just didn't like something, a choice that you had made I, as a well, parent. No, I'll say what I did. So so I the the bathhouse was maybe um hundred and fifty feet away from our campsite on a campground loop road, right? I let Ethan, our seven year old, sit on my lap while I drove the car from the bathhouse, the 150 feet to our campsite. And he comes over to me and he says, you know, I, I just had to point out that you can't do that. And, and, uh, I'm going to have to, you know, report that to the Rangers if I see it again. Fair and enough. Fair enough. Fair I, enough. I, I said, that's totally understandable. I get it. Won't happen again. You know, I don't think there was anything unsafe about it because but it was what it was. But it's the rules and it's the rules. Yeah. That's and fine. he was interpreting the rules as they are. And we had broken them and he was pointing it out. Fair enough. But after I say that, after I said that's that's fine. Don't worry about it. it won't happen again. He starts going in on me about how it's dangerous. I'm putting my child's life in danger. And that, you know, I, I think the trigger word for you was when he called you an irresponsible yeah. parent. Yeah. And I think for you, that's when it was like, okay, enough is enough. We had finished this conversation and now you're interjecting your personal opinion on me as a parent. That is not okay. This has nothing to do with the campground. This is just your opinion. And he was pretty nasty about it. And I didn't even yell at him or anything. I just said, you know what? I think you're wrong. And he did it in front of the kids, which just made the whole situation worse. It did, um, you know, and it but just, it is what it is. It just it it ended up being two weeks of a cold shoulder situation and us trying to be on the tips of our toes and make sure that we were not living up to what his expectation of us was. We couldn't get out of there fast enough after yeah. that two week reservation was up. That's the fastest we've probably ever packed up Wanderbus and gotten on the road. Uh, the next experience was running out of fuel at a campground. I really hesitated putting this one on here because it's really embarrassing. It offers a glimpse into maybe some of the not so fantastic parts of our lives. But I thought, you know what? It was a very ugly experience. And this is us. If we only present our lives on the road as, you know, sunshine and rainbows with an Instagram filter, then what is the point? We have made mistakes. We have learned from this mistake. So I thought it has to go on here and we just have to talk about it. Yeah, this was early on in our travels and we don't have a working fuel gauge. And a lot of older buses either don't have a working fuel gauge or you don't want to trust them. You know, you you want to even some RVs, just put a piece of tape over your fuel gauge if you have a giant fuel tank and, and don't trust don't trust it because they can freeze up. And we had been just sort of guessing what our fuel was based on what we knew to be or thought to be our fuel mileage as we had measured it before and not filling our tank up entirely. And when you do that too many times in a row and you're off the wrong direction each time, you wind up with an empty fuel tank at the end. And this was a travel day for us. The campground that we were at was only supposed to be a one night stop when we were moving on to our long term destination. And the campground itself, the campsite, I should say itself, was also had a slightly tipping back. Yeah. And so there was fuel 
in Wanderbus, but because there was so little and because of the angle we were at, it couldn't get from all the way in the back of the bus all the way up front. And now you would say to yourself, oh, this is a really simple fix. You just go get some fuel. You come back, you dump it in there, you start it back up. That's what I thought. It took three and a half hours, almost <laughs> well, four. The, the issue is w- with a tank that big, we have a hundred gallon tank. Five gallons isn't going to get it. No. You know, so I actually had to get, I, I didn't have fuel cans. So first of all, I had to go get fuel and I had to buy cans to put it in. I think you bought two 10 gallon ones, Two five gallon ones that allowed me to put 10 gallons of fuel in the bus. And I wasn't even sure that that was going to do it. I I thought I was going to have to run out again. Uh, But the the nearest diesel was a good half hour away along with the nearest place to buy gas cans. So I had to go get that and I had to go search around for a place and I couldn't even find the big cans the first place I went to a Menards first. And then I went to another place, a Home Depot, I think, and then ended up back at a Walmart. So I went to three stores trying to get fuel cans. Then I got fuel. But I think the biggest pita of all of that was what you had to do once you had the fuel in there yeah, because, to get it up to the front of the bus. Because the, the, the fuel lines are now empty. The fuel needs to get pumped up to the front of the bus. So and, and, and to into the fuel filter. So there's a manual pump that you have to go underneath the bus to get to find because it's covered in grease and it's impossible to find and it's hidden behind something that you can't see anyway. But to find it, reach my arm in this really weird spot and and pump the fuel forever until I could get the bus started. And it took us quite a bit of time to do. And we were well beyond the time that we were supposed to be checked out of the campground. So there's also that pressure on top of it. It was a lesson learned, a very strong lesson learned. It was hot that day. We have not run out of fuel. So since. now what I re- what we do and what I re- recommend all RVers do, especially because you should be keeping a half tank anyway, is guesstimate what your fuel mileage is, what your total range of your tank is. So if our fuel mileage is 10 miles a gallon, we have a 100-gallon tank, that's a 1,000-mile range. Once we've gone 500 miles, we fill up. And then we know we're never going to run out of fuel. Plus, we're keeping a reasonable amount of fuel in the, the tank for safety and and for the, the goodness of the engine and of the tank. If you keep your tank low a lot, you can get a rusted tank because there, there can be moisture in there that can rust it out. So it's always good to keep a lot of fuel in there. My suggestion is, too, you could just fix the fuel gauge. Well, but that's a conversation I, off the no, podcast. <laughs> I'll fix it, but I still won't trust it. Put it that way. That's fair. I would. I. That's fair. We can meet in the middle yeah. there. We can fix it and also still be mindful. <laughs> Regardless, we shouldn't be going down, you know, to a quarter tank. Anyway. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. So there was that very embarrassing, ugly moment. The last two on our ugly list are, and we've talked about this one coming up. The When we went to Vegas several weeks ago, we arrived at a campground a day before our reservation and they were full. The campground was full. It was up in the mountains overlooking Vegas. It was a 5,000 foot climb for us to get up there. It was a very difficult Wanderbus did not like it at all. Why in the world we thought we could arrive at a campground that had 12, 15 sites on a Saturday and get a first come first serve, I will never know. But we also knew that there were boondocking sites 
in this fort because it was a forest preserve that you could boondock along the road in this forest preserve. What we didn't realize was the boondocking spots one of them was a an area that you had to drive in a dirt road and they told us not even to go Don't down try. there because we would never get our bus out of there. And the other ones were turnouts on this mountain road and they were all very small. They were all right next to a giant drop off and none of them were anywhere near level. We felt like the bus could just, you know, roll off of them. You, yeah, there was and- nothing. It was never going to happen that way. But there was just this feeling of, you know, you're hanging a bus off a precipice. Yeah. And that's, you're never going to get sleep that way. <laughs> yes. And Jason's being really nice here when he uses the we. It was really the I, <laughs> Abby. And that had been a really hard travel day for us. We were exhausted by the time we got up there. And to not have a campsite sort of just heightened every single emotion. And so we had to continue to drive upward. So we had already done this 5,000 foot climb. And then we had to keep going to another campground, even higher up in the mountains where we could see if they had availability, plus check out all of the potential boondocking spots. Halfway in between these two mountains, we pulled the bus off, took the van. I continued the journey in the van to go to this higher up campground. They had nothing. He was able to give me some ideas At this point, we're into the dinner hour. I'm exhausted. I'm stressed. I don't know. There's there's something to be said about when you don't know where you're going to put your family for the night. It just I can't describe it. And that was one of those moments where I thought, I don't know what to do for my family. We knew going down the mountain was an absolute option. We could go to the Walmart. The idea of having to make that drive back up was so overwhelming to Jason and I. And this man up in this higher up campground that I was speaking to saw me start to get a little emotionally overwhelmed. I was trying to figure things out and taking his advice. And he finally looked at me and he said, why don't you guys just come here and sleep in the parking lot? It's absolutely fine. We don't normally let people do it, but you can come to a parking lot. You can sleep. You can be safe. You can have access to a bathroom. You and your kids can get a good night's rest before you go back down to the campground with your reservation. I'm getting a little emotional talking about it right now because I was so overwhelmed. And he stepped in almost as like a campground angel and gave me somewhere where I felt like I could put my family for the night and not be afraid I was going to slip off the side of a mountain because I was just so tired at that point. So. It was a really ugly moment. I will not say that Jason and I did our best with each other. We probably had a couple really ugly moments. Have you guys ever seen that shirt that says, I'm sorry for what I said when I was parking the camper? That's kind of like, or I'm sorry for what I said when I was hangry. That's kind of like what happened a little bit between Jason and I. And so it ended up being an all's well that ends well because we had someone offer a branch of kindness, but it is not a situation I hope to ever find our family in again. The final experiences we wanted to mention all sort of revolve around when we first moved into our bus. We weren't ready. No, we weren't. Let's just put it there. The bus wasn't ready. We weren't ready. I was working. I was working on a show in, in the city around that time that really 
took a lot of my time. It took all of your time. It took all of my time, you really. And slept we, at the theater. And, and required us to stay near near Chicago, which was another challenge because it, it's it's difficult. I mean, if you do end up wanting to work downtown and stay near near Chicago, you're still going to be driving in an hour and a half mm-hmm. every day to to get in. So when we first moved into the bus, I I drove the bus up through Chicago, through downtown, through the neighborhoods in, by our house. And this this was actually the easy part of everything. I, I actually had no issue with that at all. And we loaded up the last few things from our apartment into the bus. After probably what was one of the most exhausting days of our lives trying to move out as, and I still get frustrated when I talk about this, as our landlord was trying to shove painters into the space on the day we were moving. And so we had this incredibly stressful day where we were piling stuff up out in the back in order to move it out so that these people could come in. Later that night, he drives the bus and we're loading stuff up. As we are finishing that up, the last few moments, a gentleman comes up to me. I'm standing on the sidewalk with the boys. He actually came up to the kids first. He came up to the kids first. That's right. They were playing around. He came up to the kids and he told the kids they needed to get inside. They needed to find their mom. And he comes over to me and says, I was just robbed at gunpoint about a block from here. You and your family should go inside. The cops are coming. I looked at the kids and I was like, get in the car. Everybody get in the car. And I told you, I said, I don't care what's back there. We we're done. I'm done with this neighborhood. I'm done with Chicago. We have to go. And I don't like telling that story a lot because I don't like to perpetuate this idea that Chicago is an unsafe place to visit. I don't think it is. I think it's a great place to visit. No, that could happen anywhere. Obviously, it happened in Roswell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, and we got a ticket on the bus, <laughs> too, trying to, trying to load it up with everything. So it was just, but it was also sort of fortuitous. It was like, it was kind of like you're doing the right thing. Yes. This know? was the city saying, we love you. Now get out. Now get out. <laughs> and then we moved to a campground. Uh, we actually brought the bus up to some friends who were so generous with their time and their their home in southern Wisconsin that allowed us to, to do some more work on the bus to really get it to a place not even finished, but that we could. It was livable. Livable. It's not something, you know, know, that we talk a whole lot about, but we really pushed ourselves too fast. We should have stayed in our apartment a couple of months longer. Yeah. Uh, But at that point, it was too late. They leased it to somebody else. And we were just done with (laughs) that apartment and with our landlords anyway. And then we moved to a campground for for a month or so uh, outside of Chicago. And it was just a really rough experience for for all of us. I was driving into the city every day to work all day long, all night. And some nights I was sleeping in the theater or I just couldn't make the drive back. So I slept in the car. Well, we ended up having to do a rental too, because you needed the car so much and it was just alienating the boys and I, we couldn't go anywhere. We were stuck at this campground on this campsite that was not level. It was so not level. It felt like we were tipping to the left all the time, but you were gone constantly that you didn't even have the time to build blocks so that we could level out the bus. And it was a very trying time for our family to make that adjustment from one space to another and to have you not be a part of that emotional 
part of the transition, the the kids transitioning into that life, and and things weren't going well with the show. I was they managing. were not there. There were all kinds of things that happened, and and it was just really rough for all of us. So we were trying to figure out if we were going to be making this work at all, really. Mm-hmm. But then when that was all done, my show opened and closed, and we left almost as and soon as we it went opened. we. <laughs> We drove to Kansas City and we finished our bus there or to the point to the point it is finished now. Yeah. We came home and stayed there for the holidays and then went on the road for real. Yeah. And, you know, that first on the road for real was the Gulf Shores trip. And I think that to be able to have such a rocky start, but to not give up and then have a place to come with family that really embraced us and said, you guys can do this and we believe in you. What do you need? And so, you know, it was a really ugly time, I think, for us to try and figure out how we're going to make this work. I'm so proud of our family, though, for not giving up because we could have been in that bus for like a couple weeks and said, this isn't working. We need to go rent a new place and just moved into another apartment. But we didn't want to give up on this because we believed in it. So thankfully, it worked. Thankfully, it worked out. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this episode up. Let's, let's wrap this. Let's do a brain teaser. I need to go get some coffee or something. I'm feeling a little emotional. Man was writing his first book. After saving the document, he locked his laptop with a password and mentioned some phrases in the hint box so that he would remember it later. Later, a friend of him tried to open the laptop but finds out the password is protected following is the hint that appeared so i'm going to give you the hint you have to guess if you can figure out the what the actual password is from that you know the hint that your computer Mm -hmm. gives you one mobile three books two roars one night four balls two lighters one ghost one hat three watches what computer does he use where he gets so well, many? It's, it's a very special computer. <laughs> uh, clearly. Can <laughs> you help him crack the password? Goes that I'll say it again. One mobile, three books, two roars, one night, four balls, two lighters, one ghost, one hat, three watches. What's the password? We'll have the answer to that and so much more on next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. Yes. And thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. And before we run off, I would like to mention that the latest America's National Parks podcast is now out and available. It's an incredibly moving story about one of the greatest lawsuits in American history, the Dred Scott case, which you can learn more about if you go to our newest national park which is gateway arch national park that is available for download now and until next week everyone have a wonderful week and keep logging those rv miles bye